Hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guests this week are Josh Reichman and Michael LeBlanc, a pair of Toronto-based filmmakers whose first feature, Tenzin, is a textured character study starring Tenzin Kelsang as a young man of Tibetan origin living in Toronto who must navigate the aftermath of his brother's death by self-immolation in protest of the Chinese occupation back home. It's now streaming on CBC Gem and available on digital across North America, and you should see it. Josh and Michael picked Jacob's Ladder, Adrian Lyne's metaphysical, metaphorical 1990 thriller starring Tim Robbins as a Vietnam veteran who returns home after a traumatic wartime experience and finds his life back in New York is somehow even more hellish. If you've seen the film, you know what the deal is. If you haven't, maybe check it out before you listen to this episode. This is someone else's movie. Josh and I got together and decided, Josh, like I said, he wanted to make Tenzin, and um, he he had this idea. And when we started talking about it, we were initially started talking about it, we were like, talk, you know, we were like, well, we have to write a script, obviously. And we, you know, we wanted to go out and document the, uh, the as many Tibetans as we could and just sort of get their stories. And like, do we had this uh, process that we wanted to do. And then we started, we got together and we, we just, we were throwing movies back and forth at one another to watch movies together. So we would, you know, he'd watch a movie, I'd watch a movie, just, just, you know, like sort of like try to build what is the world that we're going to make? What is Tens going to be like and whatnot? And then Jacob's Ladder came about as a movie uh, and Josh loved it. He knew the movie and I knew the movie, obviously. We had both watched it independently and loved the movie. So then we, we, uh, we watched the movie together and we both were like, holy, it, it resonated with us in the type of movie that we wanted to make. And Jacob Slaughter was uh, the first like true piece of art that influenced us when writing this film. So, so when, uh, when you asked about this movie, I asked Josh, I was like, what, what do you think about Jacob's Ladder? Like, that was like one of the movies that we connected on in the early, early stages, like seven years ago or whatever. We hadn't watched it since. And Josh, you were, uh, and, and, it, and it, it's, uh, anyway, that is the answer to that. From my, from my perspective, it's just, it did resonate with the film. It was an interesting uh, piece of uh, movie making that we both, uh, thought could be a good uh, a movie to talk about uh, for this for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I feel like I feel like there's a few touchstone um, films or pieces of, like work works in life that you don't. Well, maybe it's because you watch one watches them at the right age or the right time in development, and then they <clears throat> they really can't be erased from one's uh like lexicon like one's or what is it like vernacular of how you think about art or making things and mm-hmm. i think it's almost like uh lucky or auspicious or predestined i don't know how you want to one wants to think of it but it's it's really powerful and was exciting i'm using a lot of adjectives here that the idea of reincarnation mind um, you know, the, the characters, including the ones that self-immolate, the one, and the idea of a haunting and the idea of perspective and consciousness and the underpinnings of, of Buddhism, right, that are sort of 
laced into the film that we were already playing with. That's in Jacob's Ladder. And for me, Jacob's Ladder was something I just enjoyed as a, as a young, like a kid. And I understood that it was playing with weird, like, oh, he wasn't, um, the, uh, like the timelines and perspective and, and, and consciousness is being played with. I guess as a kid, you know that you, you one appreciates that it's a twisty feeling, but the fact that those things converged, it was like, oh, okay, this is the blueprint. Like, and also in, in the horrificness. And then even in like the romance and the sexual, some of the sexual, and we don't have a lot of that in our film, but we do have a dread. I don't know what word does probably amazing words for like lovers, loss, dread, dream loss, <laughs> you know? And so we already had those components and that movie has that, those components. And I was thinking of that before this podcast, I'm sure we could dig into it, but there's a lot of corollaries. Like there's a lot of them. So anyway, when we watched it together, it was like, now we know it's not like, Oh, it's a hero's journey based on this. It's not you know, whatever. It was like this, we can hang our hats on and we could, we're going to be able to come back to this a bunch of times. So yeah, I agree. It was like, we both agreed, which is great because we need to agree on something in order to make it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, I was. I remember when we we thought of the movie Jacob's Ladder to be like, what do you think about Jacob's Ladder? But yeah, I guess. But I, in my mind, I sort of like thought Jacob's Ladder could be like an interesting influence because I knew it was like a little bit scary, and I knew it had to do with. But I, I, I had watched it, and like Josh said, I, I wasn't like super hyper aware. I hadn't dissected the movie; I had just watched it. And then when we watched it, <laughs> we were like, "Holy mac!" I didn't even know how amazing this movie was until we watched it again. Like I knew it was a good movie, but I was like, it, it, it had all of those elements and it had, it, it's a special movie and it handled it so well. And there's some moments in that movie. I rewatched it again before this podcast, like a few nights ago. And I like cried again, like in, in one very specific moment, I was just like, when he wakes up from the bath and he comes out and his wife is like, he thought he really thought he was back with his wife. He's talking about this bad dream about the woman that worked in the mailroom. And you know, that is the reality. And then he wakes up. It's in the oh, dream on that line, dream on. Like, it's just like, I mean, it really it gets you. It gets you. The, and it's super scary. Anyway, it was a, that, that, I think that sort of answers a little bit of that question. Yeah. We're just getting excited about the movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, you talking about the scene <laughs> makes me have the palpable, like, dread, sadness, loss, like the impossible nightmare of like ascending and descending. You know, the ladder into hell and heaven. That's like that's like life. It's like when you leave a relationship and you wake up and your partner's not there, or when someone dies. I mean, that that movie gets to some of that where it's like the nightmare. And then the sobering reality, like I still have to have a shower now in this reality. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, and then, there, and then you still laugh and then you have to go to your mail room, like in your reality. You're like, but that isn't my world. Didn't I cultivate a good, that's samsara. Like that's also the fundamentals of the Buddhist proposition is that it's, it, it's going to suck all the way. You're going to have some pleasurable things happen. And you, when you, when one tries to like, pin themselves on that it's as uh, can i just do this for one second i'm sorry this is i just can't not talk like this but like no go for it yeah like the buddha the buddha said because i'm this is like i'm a student uh, guy it's a big thing in my life uh he didn't 
just Shakyamuni Buddha, the big one everyone knows, like the Pottery Barn Buddha, you know, <laughs> like big guy. Uh, who there are many Buddhas, but he said, you know, he didn't just say this first noble truth that life is suffering. He said in Pali something really specific, which is life is like a cart that you keep trying to head down the road and you think you're going straight, and then the wheel goes in the ditch. And then people go, okay, well, that's really pessimistic. But the truth is, the f what's going to happen for all of us is that we get sick and die, you know, and everyone you know dies. And then maybe your movie lasts, but then Bob Dylan, like, who remembers Bob Dylan right now? Like, it's getting slim. Well, like, I'm just saying it's getting slim. You know what I mean? Like, get us 200 years out. And it's like, he's, you know, point being, sorry, then big rant, but like, we, we're on a podcast. We're supposed to do this stuff. Oh, yeah. No, um, it's, it's expected. <laughs> yeah. He's like that dread when Mike just said that dream on or when, you know, the, the many points in that movie, it's like, I know we wanted to have a bit of that because that's such a powerful and particular feeling. And maybe we got like 2% of that energy, like transmitted through our version, but like it was important to us, I, I think, at least to me. Yeah. Like that scene when he's uh, the chiropractor is like telling him basically about the Bardo. And he's, mm. he's basically explaining to him about the angels. And when you hold on, that's when the demons come and get you. But if mm. you let go, those demons turn into angels. Like that that scene, it's so interesting. It's just like, you know, I've heard you speak about that a lot when you're speaking about, you know, what what is the bardo? And I'm not saying, I'm not even going to try to even describe what the bardo is, but just that scene is a resemblance of, that and it's cool mm. uh so anyway the film is actually interestingly enough uh quite uh you know it's an amazing movie like tenzin is not but it's certainly influenced by <laughs> by by the by this jacob ladder you know like it's it's a good movie yeah i mean it's about uh, both your film and and this film are about people i mean I, okay this is incredibly reductive just by virtue of all movies are about like this ultimately you could read everything as it's a person searching for meaning in a, in a chaotic world that doesn't make sense but it's the nature of that chaos is where i think the two line up there's there's something very similar in the way jacob's ladder handles its kind of kind of miasma of confusion where there is no clear path and there's there's a thing that someone wants on the other side of all of it and the the journey the quest the struggle is to simply understand what the thing is and in jacob's ladder it's it's ultimately it turns out that it's a very clear path because i like the movie a lot but there's not a lot of story it's much more experiential and more about the moment to moment i mean the the eight the the, the two uh what is it um the ladder in like the in the biblical Jacob's ladder is the place where you go between heaven and hell where God is wrestling with the devil and you can sort of see it beyond your beyond the, the lines of perception you're aware that it's happening but you you're safe from it in that moment it's a, it's a it's the space where neither of those things has happened to you yet you don't belong anywhere it's limbo uh, for lack of a better term and in Tenzin it seems to be more about understanding this this trauma this this formative trauma that's, that predates I don't want to spoil too much about your film we can talk about Jacob's Ladder all we want but uh, there's something at the beginning of Tenzin that is hangs over the the protagonist for the entire film and and his journey has seemed to me to be to resolve his feelings about it not to understand why it happened but to understand how he feels about it because he just won't let himself connect to that 
And when you look at Jacob's Ladder, it's the story about someone resisting being at peace, right? Like refusing to succumb because he simply doesn't understand what his situation is. And it is the kind of twist ending resolution, which I would ordinarily throw shoes at the screen for, because it is, you know, it's done to death. There's a million of these movies or Twilight zone kind of things. But, and this was the situation all along. And there's something so poetic and sad about this one. And I don't know if it's Adrian Lyon and Bruce Joel Rubin arguing over mm. what the movie means. Cause I know that there was some uh, dissonance mm. between the two of them on, on interpretation. Bruce Joel Rubin is coming off, you know, ghost and my life. And uh, was it flatliners? He, he was just the death guy in Hollywood for a while. All of his movies were about near death experiences or afterlife experiences or things in like Jacob's ladder is the in-between movie. And he was just convinced that he was telling a philosophical story through the script, through this genre piece that he was he had written. And Adrian Lyne was all about the frenzy and the flash and the style. And, and not that he was uninterested in the spiritual stuff, but it was the means to the end for him, which was to put people on this ride through hell, uh, which the movie mm. states beautifully with the subway car ad at the very beginning. Um, I, re I mean, I, I remember seeing that. I saw that at a press screening with about 250 people in one of the old uptown theaters underneath the original uptown in Toronto. And there were groans at that pan, you know, like the first two subway ads, New York and hell. And there were people in the theater who's like, who were just like, Ugh. and then it got <laughs> them. It didn't matter. It just beat them down because it is so committed to that bit of creating this, you know, this, this absolute garbage universe where everything is awful. And of course he wants out, but um that's line i think that's adrian line he wants to play with the production design and and invent the shaky head visual thing that david lynch would go on to use in in his movies so eloquently um and he's just playing like he's stirring this huge pot with all these ingredients in it and one of them is bruce joel rubin's screenplay and then you have sorry this is my pet theory now um then you have tim robbins who is playing the script like he doesn't yeah. he is not acting to camera at all he is doing the page and just carrying all these these deep complex almost uh like subdermal emotions just Ooh. underneath his just underneath his skin and i don't think i'd ever seen him do something like that before uh i don't think he'd had the opportunity but it's phenomenal i mean that's the movie for me it's it's not about the the intentions of the film it's about watching this guy suffer and find his way through and it's i don't think i gave it enough credit the first time i saw it it just because it all just gets shouted shouted down in in the the, the chaos of the movie but then i rewatched it a while back and i was surprised at how how mature and sad he is because he was still pretty young tim robbins um yeah and he just carries this 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 stillness in almost every scene it plays like confusion mm. sometimes but he's just it seems like he's just it's it's what you said about the scene where he wakes up in the ice bath he's just enjoying being alive somehow like he's it's almost like his senses are working again and he doesn't know how to process the information and it's such a fascinating performance that now i find the movie way more emotional than i did the first time around mm. yeah, yeah i think it's, it's yeah very, eyes and his affect and his body carries a huge amount <clears throat> and he's a he's a big 
a physical presence. And then mm-hmm. when he lumbers ha- happily out of places, he's childlike and fresh and he feels like dewy and his jacket is dewy and he's, his shoes are kind of squishy and he's, he's a, he's a content. He's someone who seems made easily content. And that is a horror because that person up against this psychic arena is, is not a formidable, like that's not a good match. And in that way, you know, he's a perfect person to put in there. Um, and that is for me really about his physicality says, I mean, he's obviously doing an internal job. He's internalizing everything necessary, or he's naturally a good fit or whatever that, 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 you know, nice blend is. But um, no, Tim Robbins is like the movie, but everyone is pretty amazing in that. Like the woman who plays the, the uh, mailroom means her, her spite, her condemnation, her sexuality, uh, her um, lovability is both horrific. Like she's someone we can relate to, um, whatever you want to dig into what that is, those energies. But like those are, um, there's terror in that because it's like you picked the wrong person and you didn't know until you were in need. And it's, and you know, this, then he's brought to his knees because of the depth of confusion. But the only person there is this death mother shadow, you know, feminine aspect or whatever you want to call her. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a moment earlier was supporting him and pinching and kissing him and, and this playful energizer that only a childlike man would enjoy and, and fall victim to. And so, uh everyone's pretty amazed like you know it's a hollywood movie you know or whatever or trying to be i don't know what it's trying to do that's why it's weird it fits in that perfect like you said if people groaned at that beginning it's because yeah it's got these tropey things and then you excuse it a minute later because of something it's some energy in it that's just not as common it's not flatliners it's not nine and a half weeks there's something else happening nine and a half weeks is cool but like it's you know something I mean, else is, is yeah. did this movie do well in the box office back in when it when it came out was it like a hit or something i don't i, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't no i remember it doing okay um yeah. it wasn't a massive hit but it came out on a it was released by tristar pictures but it was a pretty small release as i remember uh they didn't have the video rights they didn't push too hard it was really much more of a hit once it came out on tape um mm. yeah. it was yeah budget of 25 million box office 26.1 so not great yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just interesting that a movie like, but I just don't believe that, that they, anyone would make a movie like this and put money, even that type of money in a movie like this today. Like it would just be, it's, it would never happen. <laughs> just like, I'm shocked that this is like a mainstream movie. It's sort of interesting. Like that, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, this is this was Adrian Lyne's follow up to Fatal Attraction, which was nominated for Best Picture and a bunch of other stuff just a couple of years ago. It's just so cool that he was allowed to do this movie. I don't know. I just think it's like, you know, like no one else would have been allowed at this time. But another, it's interesting, like, yeah, like how he's sort of like a sex symbol in the movie. You yeah. know, like I, when you watch it, you just, I'm like, wow. It's just like that is interesting as well. Like just like, and I like it. I like it that he goes like when he's walking past out of the women when he's going under the bridge, and everyone's like, "Mystic," <laughs> you know, like that's it. like you know. And then he's like, "She's like, oh, you're so hot." He's like walking everyone around, and he's like sort of a. And he goes to the party, and people are flirting with him. It's just like such a you're dead just, baby. Yeah, you're dead. Anyway, yeah. but it's pretty. It, 
because you just anyway it's it's interesting that the that he's playing that character in a way yeah well. i mean it's the last temptation of christ reading right like he's offered all this pleasure if he stays mm. but yeah then ultimately starts seeing through it immediately um mm. which again feels like I mean, Last Temptation of Christ had just come out a couple of years earlier. Platoon had come out a few years earlier. It, it, it feels very much like a script of the moment, and it's hard to explain to people now, what, 33 years later, like, no, no, those were all things that were happening in the movies. That's how you won Oscars. It's like Adrian Lyon had a a carte blanche after Fatal Attraction, which was a massive hit and and star, like sparks the entire erotic thriller thing that happened that culminates a few years later with basic instinct and showgirls and all the stuff that goes too far on purpose and becomes camp. But, you know, fatal attraction is deadly serious. The bunny boiler thing was supposed to be a big, scary moment. It just became silly the moment people actually saw it because it's a ridiculous image. Um, And so you have him with his carte blanche saying, I want to make this movie and I want to do it my way. And they threw some money at him, but not a lot. And it, it looks like 50 million. I mean, it's a, it's a gorgeous looking film. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where all of it feels like this gumbo of studio notes that were considered and then rejected so he could make his own thing. So the Vietnam thing is kind of necessary, but ultimately meaningless, right? Like the crawl at the very end is something that I've always felt was kind of dopey because mm. this entire thing is a fantasy or a hallucination or a death dream or whatever you want to call it. So there's absolutely no point in like, saying at the very end, well, you know, a lot of Vietnam vets were dosed with stuff. It's like, you don't know that. The, the devil said so. Like, there's absolutely no, that Michael Newman character yeah. may not even exist. It's nice that he's there to give us this, but it's so clearly, it's like the Total Recall thing of the distraction in the second act of the film. Total Recall was the same year, actually. So maybe that was why people didn't cotton on to this one, because it is effectively the same structure, just with a way more downbeat story. Well, I I, I would jump on what you said about being dosed and the the savagery that occurred and uh i i feel like what it does do is give him a chance to have it well it gives us some story it's like meat so then you can go meet actually meet people and those people can become signposts or you know pinball you know like things that he can bounce off of and get deeper into intrigue and and then it's a place for demons to be held within like the demons become connected to a world he can believe in as so long as he wants to believe in it does that make sense it's not just there's demons and now i should (laughs) investigate my mind it's that there's these things and there's this there's this mystery within the mystery I, i i just think that is a convention is useful if you're going to start describing someone, the nature of mind, They there's going to be components that animate. They think of our own lives and our own minds and life. If it was as easy as seeing consciousness for us all as, you know, and the subject of what your room there and me and you talking as illusory ultimately and built on little sub things you can't find the beginning of or whatever. That's the premise of emptiness, let's say, right? If it was as easy as just me saying that, we would come out of it. But it takes the mystery of a whole lifetime of going, oh, it turns out that everything I was attached to was useless in that it just brought suffering. You know, you know what I mean? Like it, we're we're in the we're in the attribute component space. So anyway, I got not to get too like out there about that, but 
But I do think that's how one thinks about what you do with story pieces and characters and objects. And so while the Vietnam thing is very of its time and like uh, maybe necessary for like the purging era, like you, you know, it's like, that's what our, my childhood was people digesting and metabolizing Vietnam. You know what I mean? Like, so it just had to be something they did something with, um, which is actually weird that it's so on the nose that people, I always found that, always found that weird that there was a lot of Vietnam movies, not that long after Vietnam. I think that's, I think that's heavy that people did that, um, that directors and, and creators were like doing something related to something. You know what I mean? It's, anyway, sub note, sub note on that. But, but just, uh, I was just feeling what you were saying with that. And I guess I kind of like the psyops story. Uh, I like those stories. I happen to like those stories, you know, like that, that like conspiratorial stuff is kind of, kind of fun. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. Over the last week, I've been catching up to some terrific stuff, including the Via Vision imprint box set celebrating Gene Hackman and Walter Hill, though, weirdly, neither collection includes the one movie they made together. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link in the Simcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. But you like you like conspiratorial stories. Um, I mean, for sure. that's a story, right? There's something yeah. being conspired, whether God is conspiring or the cosmos that's animating the characters that don't know they're being animated by like a, a external force, or it's a more observable force that can be touched that's made yeah. of people in a. I don't know. It's it's interesting what you were speaking about earlier about um, how like that end. It was all a dream, or you know, her, her, you know, like it, it was all. It, it, a lot of times, those movies don't actually like make sense uh, because they're just deciding to say that they were just sleeping, or you know, they were dreaming, or or. But but in this movie, <laughs> I actually think it makes like perfect sense. It's like a perfect piece. I don't like. The only thing, actually, the only thing I really don't like about this movie is when he sees his son and walks up into the white light up the stairs. Like, I really dislike that. And I wish that wasn't in the movie. I, I just like, oh, I wish that wasn't in the movie. But it is. I, <clears throat> uh, and then the line at the end with the line at the end with, with the guys saying, you know, just talking about, I didn't, I didn't need that either. I didn't need any lines at the end. I would have just liked, but, Similar to like when when I first saw The Matrix or like, uh, you know, like movies that sort of like when I watched this movie, not the first time because I had no idea what I was watching and it just scared me when I was younger. And I probably I didn't even try to understand it. I was just like, ah, but when I watched it like with Josh again, and I didn't even realize what the movie was about because I don't think I watched movies and thought about them when I was younger, I just watched them and let, just, I just wanted to experience and be entertained, but I didn't want to think. Um, but uh, when I watched this one again, I was like, holy shit, like similar to the matrix. I was like, I'm really happy that this entire movie is actually one small moment of him being the whole thing 
the entire thing is like a minute, tiny moment of the moment between life and death when he's being operated on. And that could be like a millisecond, but represented into a lifetime, into a movie. And they're just operating on him. And the whole movie is in this person's... he. They're trying to bring this person back to life, but his soul is still in his body. He's experiencing all of these things. And he, and then they're like, oh, he looks happy. You know, like just that line. He looks happy because he did come to terms with his death in his in-between state, like you said, like the Jacob's Ladder, in the in-between state, which is the bardo. In, 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 you know, so it's like, I remember when I saw it, I was really happy that that was the ending. Because I... I I, I was really happy that there was a purpose for all of that Vietnam stuff, you know, like to bring me there. And uh, and it was cool that they made an entire movie out of a, a frame of a moment, you know? And I think that is really good use of that type of an ending. When the entire movie, its entire premise and everything that the movie has to do with is because he's lying there for real. It's not a, It's not a dream. It's like, but I, I sort of like really love that ending. I think it's like the best use of that ending. You did you did feel kind of bad though. Like I, I felt like I what you're saying makes me like it, but when I saw it, I think the way I felt the way Norm felt, I felt bad. Like feeling in my body was like, Ugh. because I think what it also does is it goes, Oh, there's another movie where he's in Vietnam, but we don't know that movie. We don't know that world all we know is what we what we had to endure which is exhausting movie. <laughs> like, and so there's a little bit cheap because you were exhausted around something and then it's something else you know and that i think that's what hurts about those kind of movies it's like well you you played with me and i'm up for that deal when i walk into a movie theater but i'm not up for the second deal you didn't tell me about the second deal i like the first deal it makes sense like i paid for that but the last deal's like, you know, anyway, yeah, I just think like that's cheap or whatever. I, th- I think with the person writing the film, it probably started with the fact that the whole movie, that this person is dealing with their, their in between, like the movie started there. That was the spark of the movie that he's dead lying on the table. They didn't start a movie writing it. And then at the end, like other movies, like cheaper <laughs> thoughts were, you know, they'd be like, ah, oh, you know what? <laughs> Actually, all this is a dream. Like I don't think they no, did yeah. that in this movie. I think it was yeah, like that's a good point. That's a good point. That it's it might be the the it might be the uh, bedrock. Like it might be the actual pointless little boop. Like it's just a point on a. It's like a piece of ink. Like and then the whole movie fits in that piece of ink. And maybe that's the smallest movie ever made because some people are like trying to get from point A to point B, and then they have like a mountain or like a, a you know maybe there's like a shape. This one's like a point because he's just dead. He's just like there's like a light that flash in his eyes and then he's dead. So the like you said, that's a good point you you had, Mike. That the movie's like it's like someone just dropping a pen on it. Like boop. the movie's just is a period. It's a period. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, and maybe yeah. that's why it was so difficult to explain to people. Not in the marketing, mm. but you know, this is a movie that absolutely needs word of mouth. 
to drive it because it is so impenetrable. The trailer and the TV spots all just looked like some kind of slasher movie almost with this guy being chased by stuff that he couldn't understand. And then that's, I mean, technically, yes, that's what the movie is, but it's, you know, the film is about something. It's just told in such a, uh, Ebert always said that, uh, you know, a movie isn't about what it's about. It's how it's about it. And the, the nature in which you choose to tell your story is what defines the narrative. And this is absolutely that kind of film where the point of view and the perspective and the execution and the aesthetic are maybe more important than the narrative because it's about immersing us in his confusion and his pain and ultimately bringing us through to his epiphany. And you can't sell that in a 30 second TV spot. And, you know, people coming out of the theater trying to explain it to their friends who hadn't seen it yet just sounded like they'd lost their minds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can imagine it would be very difficult to understand. It's like, well, because you can't actually, there's no right. What the version that I said, like maybe they did just put an ending on it, but I don't believe they did because I believe they probably structured the entire movie based on this idea. But but then you're like, well, what movie are we watching? Are we watching the movie in Vietnam? Or are we watching the movie where he's with his wife? What's the reality? Or is it with his girlfriend? Um, okay, no, no, no. The real movie is 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 with his girlfriend, but he wishes he was with his wife. Wait a second, but he's dead. Like it's just like, but it actually makes perfect sense. It's sort of like. You know, it's in a way it's not similar to it at all, but in some ways it's like mirror Tarkovsky's mirror, like how it 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 plays itself backwards. Like the entire like the inciting incident is at the end of the movie, but it's being set up at the beginning of the movie. But it's like so you try to explain that movie, and it's like you just like, well, it's about this guy. That, like it is his what his mother is played by this by this his his mother's played by the wife of the man like it's the same character being played by like it's like a very difficult thing to explain but i mean similarly confusing movie but but i mean like i think that tarkovsky's mirror actually is a perfect structured movie it's like perfectly structured uh whereas this it is a little bit more montagey like you said um but I think it makes sense because it's all mind. But like you can't. It's interesting. You you can't. You're not well. Just because it's a mind movie, you can do everything. You can't. It, you still need the narrative to be like as strong as anything else. But it does sort of work. Well, I think pretty, they do pretty well. Yeah. When, as we're as we're having this conversation, what comes to mind for me is that it, the the reason that film film movies whatever affected me to the point of mutating my sense of life and purpose and reality and for most people it's the same way the spectacle is that they are they are dreams they're our best version and this is not to be like pretentious about it but like i know people have written like tomes about this kind of thing but it, it like it basically comes down to like do you want to watch a movie that it's going to be a dream but you believe it or do you want to sort of know that you're watching a dream and that's sort of like lucid dreaming. It's like the conviction of your dream is like has more impact almost when you don't know you're dreaming. And when you wake up in your dream a bit, you ha you're more empowered. And yet it's not as mysterious. The mysteries, it's different. I don't know. There's a bunch of words I said there. Just, I'm trying to say that like dream itself, you, you can't, when people are mad at the fact that a movie is like has the dream element, like the, un, the, you know, that it allows itself to be known as dreamlike. I'm like, well, that's just kind of dispelling it. And if you do it delicately, 
then you're i think you're doing something really special like we wanted to do that with our movie it's like you're allowed to say movies are dreamlike and life is dreamlike and to be too convinced of, and try to convince everyone of some hard story is almost like that's that's being more asleep and more manipulative to people. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like more manipulative to make people not know they're watching something dreamlike. Because movies are inherently dreamlike. So is life. Boom. Enjoy whatever I say. <laughs> Enjoy playing that back. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's there's that fine line between like it being so dreamy and just confusing, you know, like that thing where people yeah, say that's like, crap. You're talking about like, crap. The difference between confusing and mis the mystery versus the confusing. It's like it's a fine line between those two things. And it's sort of like trying to be more mysterious, but sometimes through your mystery, it can get confusing. And dream movies can sometimes just be like a montage feeling and, and just not have structure. Like don't but but I mean, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Josh. I do. I mean, I hope I, I, I think I think that I think I think that Tenzin is a little bit like actually probably I hope I not confusing. <laughs> But but, but, but I, I, I hope it's not absolutely confusing. But yeah, we tried. We tried to put as much story in it as we could. Uh, it looks good. <laughs> it looks really good. It looks good. It has good music. <laughs> no, come on but, now. Come on now. I think it's a, it's a little more than that. Uh, I, I but that does sort of get me to the the question that I always end on, which is if there is anything, and I think we've sort of touched on it. Is there anything in Jacob's Ladder that you've fully assimilated, borrowed, or even outright stolen for your work? Is there something specific to Tenzin that wouldn't have existed without Jacob's Ladder? Or is it just sort of a thematic resonance? Mm. Yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't say that, you know what I mean? I Like the opening, like subway like you know what I mean giving us ideas for locations and things like that we did that with a lot of movies like we watched like Amores Peros was another uh influence and we looked at that quite a bit and and Tarkovsky uh with the sound design I was like really you know into and listening to this this idea of not having room tone and just like things just being very present uh with voices and things like that I I mean, like every so we we looked at a lot of movies that influenced Tenzin for sure, and Jacob's Ladder was one of them. But I, I would actually say in the end, Jacob's Ladder ended up being like the least one that we that we stole from. But I, we did like take scenes from it, like in a way, like we were like, well, we could do a cool subway scene that would make sense, and I think that came from uh, Jacob's Ladder. This idea of a subway scene, um, and otherwise, just the way that they played so beautifully I mean, we try to and obviously it's so difficult because in some ways some ways uh they just really pulled it off in jacob's ladder like just like to make you feel for him so much the protagonist uh so we were trying to like tread this this horror you know the and, and i think we were we just felt like jacob's ladder did that quite well where like the horror and the beautiful uh, at the same time, like treading that line between like horror film and then like just, be, you know, pretty straight up drama. Like, so we wanted to do that, I think. So, so but we didn't, I, I, we, we looked at it and never looked at it again. Like, honestly, like it was like, I think we looked at it in our first few weeks of writing and then we never looked at Jacob's Ladder again <laughs> for like, and then we shot we one look. year later. Yeah. 
I remember, I remember looking at it and caring about it for like a, a couple of weeks and really trying to be like, okay. And then, and then we just wrote a script actually, Josh and I wrote one, went and shot that script. And then we shot for five days and realized, no, we shot for 10 days and realized, oh my God, this character doesn't work at all. So we cut an entire character out of the script and just kept uh, the character a little bit and then decided to make another person the lead in the middle of shooting. And then we went back and rewrote the script and then shot another like five days, uh, like three months later. Like, so, so we, we really like rewrote it. And then we rewrote the script again when we were editing, like completely rewrote all the lines and did a lot of ADR and stuff and in yeah. editing, like on the back of people's heads a lot. And just so we could like write new scenes. So it, in some ways we, we, uh, yeah. Anyway, I think that the subway was like really like we, we stole that. Um, I think that's about it, really. I don't know. Did we steal anything else? We might have stole like so much more. I just can't remember. <laughs> no, I think it's more like the energy, sort of like a big thematic stuff than like any kind of any kind of any, any kind of like component or something like that. Uh, the person that was the the main character was the was the um, <clears throat> uncle who self immolated. The spirit was a bigger was was really a character. Yeah, well, I mean, when Michael was saying you had to reorient, and it's like, yeah, it must have been him. That's the I yeah, mean, that's right. the only presence, right? Is still felt, but the character is gone. There you yeah, go. it, it it wasn't like it, it was it was more just the writing and the way that the scenes were coming together, and we tried to put it together. We were going for like more of like a two worlds that were coming together, uh, and 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 when we tried to do that, it was it really wasn't working. So he's like, no, we can't have two worlds, and the crossing paths is what we wanted to do, similar to like Amoros Peros in a way, mm. where like two stories, and then they cross paths in the story, and then they go their separate ways. That was our our idea. Um, those types of movies, I'm really. I personally really loved that style of movie making, but it was just too difficult to do. And then we decided, no, we just have to stick with Tenzin and just Tenzin. And then we wrote a bunch of stuff that was just purely him. And then uh, we, we, we didn't have a lot of money, so we, we couldn't afford, it was like 47,000 to all in, you know what I mean? To like production. So we would have really, we really wanted to go and shoot some more like another two weeks, like we, like Josh and I, we really wanted to like develop the Chucky character, develop, we did want to continue, but there was just no more money and we just couldn't. So we did what we did and then we decided to just sweat equity. So lots of editing and lots of, uh, and I own a, a recording studio so we could do the ADR and stuff for free. And like, it was just a lot of just trying to make it work in the box, you know? Right. And by focusing it so tightly onto one character, you ended up, doing what Jacob Slatter does, right? Like you force us into that perspective and trap us there in the story with him. Yeah. And I'm really, really proud of the movie. And I, re I personally like, I really, really love it. We're, we're just kidding around and being a little bit uh, hard on it sometimes, but I am very, very proud of it. And I'm proud of our first movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like we did it and it, it's a cohesive piece. And obviously as you can hear from the way that we're talking about it, it was pieced together very much so. Uh, so it wasn't like written 
like perfect script written then edited by like a bunch of writer brains and then like like shot and then you know like and then the basic structure of the script stayed no it wasn't that <laughs> it's like the structure of that script just there was no structure it was just like ideas and thoughts and like we just shot things uh and then we were that's why we learned so much through this process because to try then to make something that actually has a beginning, middle, and end when you didn't write a beginning, middle, and end, really, though we did write a version of one, it was, uh, I'm really proud of uh, what we ended up with, uh, coming at it from uh, such, uh, you know, so many, so many different angles over so many years. And keep on, it kept on reinventing itself, like Josh said, off the top of the, uh, the, uh, this hang here. Uh, how it, it was just a puzzle and we just kept on reinventing it and like through what we've learned in life and experiences that we've had and the new relationships that we built and it became a lot more clear like the protest scene was there was that was not written in the movie we do like, we adr'd that scene entirely uh that was meant to be something completely different but then we repurposed it and said that would be amazing and then we sort of were like Oh, that could be like, that could be potentially the inciting incident, sort of like a a very loose. It's not, we don't have a strong inciting incident in this movie. So it's like, as you know, uh, because you watched it, but, but still there are these elements that like sort of like make us believe that he is ready to change. You know, he's experienced something that, that, and it's subtle, but he's experienced something in this moment of the movie that was not in the movie before. So, and a couple of people wrote that, you know, uh, we didn't write that. Uh, one of the actors did the first initial writing. And then, uh, you know, for, at the beginning, it was just subtitles and there was no one speaking. It was just things that a couple of people had said and I wrote it in. And then we got some, and then we got someone that actually does the, those speeches to, to give us one of her speeches. Uh, which she translated in Tibetan because she normally does those speeches in English. And uh, yeah, so so many things over the years just came out of it. Uh, and, and it became what it is now, which is by by no, it's not, it's not like a perfectly written movie, but it's a pretty, like I said, I'm proud of it. And I think we pulled it off. My thanks to Josh Reichman and Michael LeBlanc, whose first featured Tenzin is now streaming free on CBC Gem and available on digital throughout North America. Thanks also to Brian Robertson. He knows what he did. Michael isn't on Twitter, but you can find Josh's account at Josh Reichman, all one word, and you can find Jacob's Ladder on Blu-ray and DVD from Maple Pictures in Canada, it's out of print but still around, and Lionsgate in the US. It's also streaming on Prime Video, MGM+, Paramount+, and Canopy in the US, and available to rent or buy on various VOD services in North America. Via Vision released a pretty great all-region special edition Blu-ray earlier this year as well. You can find me on Twitter for a little while longer, at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week. <laughs>